I'm going to take you to the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 4, um, verse 26 through 29. And at, at our church, um, I like to practice something that I call transparency therapy. Um, oftentimes in the Christian culture, especially in, our, in, in pastoral cultures, um, we're not taught the, the benefit of transparency. Uh, and so we oftentimes like to portray an image uh, from one place that's not real in so many other different places. And, and so I'm going to ask you today with me um, just, just to, to practice some transparency therapy. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm deeply moved in my soul today um, simply by being here with you, um, being back in, in really what feels so much like home. Um, and just the ministry of, of Church on the Rock, the ministry of the worship, uh, man, it's just really touched me deeply today. So, so if I get a little bit emotional, that's okay. I encourage you um, to allow the wells of emotion to be touched deeply by God's Spirit um, today as well, too. I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version, again, out of the Gospel of Mark. And this is what Jesus says. He said, He also said that this is what the kingdom of God is like. I'll mention this here in just a moment as well, but this was the very first mention of this new concept, this theological concept called the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus makes mention of that, um, I am sure, uh, this isn't, I, I don't assume, I am confident that those early listeners moved to the edge of their seats. And I pray that today as well, too, that any time the concept of the kingdom of God is mentioned or any concept that's theologically driven and grounded from the word of God, that it causes us to move just a little bit up on our seats, that we're not going to be casual in our interaction. We're not going to be lazy in our listening, but man, we're going to be anticipating, just like that early audience, something to be revealed to us that has yet to be revealed concerning the kingdom of God. And so when he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like, a man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he eats or whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. Check this out. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Father, your word so generously and so accurately does your work. And God, you know the broad span of needs that are in this house today. Uh, Father, and I'm so thankful that you are able to supply all of our needs according to your glorious riches, which are found only in the wonderful risen Savior, the resurrected King, Jesus Christ. And so we ask you by your spirit, again, to allow your word to accomplish your work, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask this only for the sake of your son, Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Um, before we go too, too far on this, I just need to let you know that God is a God of order. God knows what must take place in our lives, but more importantly, he knows when they need to take place in our lives. 
and giving him permission what or what he wants to do, but also when he wants to do it is very critical and deeply connected to our spiritual growth as well as the growth of our soul. There's an order to the things in the kingdom of God. And if we get things out of order, like anything else, they stop working. He says it's first the stalk, then the head, and then the full head. Now imagine with me that you walk up to a vending machine or any type of machine and painted on the, the exterior of it is a sign that says out of order. If you walk up to that, and you expect to get what is on the inside out, knowing that there is an out of order sign on it, then we should probably talk. <laughs> Anything that is out of order, we cannot expect to get what is on the inside out. I know it's a little bit early, it's earlier in Arizona, but is it okay for me to say that sex before marriage is out of order? You can fix things and put things back in order, but things that are originally out of order won't work as you would expect them to. That's why spending your money before tithing your money is out of order. This parable points out for us that in the kingdom of God, there is an order to things. That's why Psalms 100 verse four, it says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise, giving thanks to him and to praise his name. My personal time with the Lord, and I would assume that the same would be for you, it goes a whole lot better when I do things in order. Sure, I have unresolved issues, I have concerns, I have things that I need to take care of in the presence of God, but to do things out of order, I can't expect the things of the kingdom of God to produce that which it promises to do. I wanna remind myself often that the name of the Lord is a strong tower that I can run into and be saved. But I also need to know that if I do things in order by entering his gates with thanksgiving rather than entering his gates with demands, then I can get things that the kingdom of God produces us. Your word says that all I need to be a candidate for the miraculous is breath in my lungs. Psalm 150 verse six says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's why it's so important for us to engage, not to casually sit back and disconnect possibly from the worship service or the song service because it's so much more than just a preliminary activity that fills a slot of times. That is a prerequisite of doing things in order that produces the outcomes of the kingdom of God. The main part of this message is in verse 27 and 28, and I want to go to work on this parable, but more importantly, I want this parable to go to work on us. It says, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Listen to this. All by itself, the soil produces the grain. All by itself. This amazingly brings forward in my mind the amazing grace of God, his mercy, his unconditional and unrelenting love, his sovereignty, which causes me to wonder if I stay up too late at night worrying about stuff that is actually being superintended under the sovereignty and the timing of his grace. 
Maybe I need to get out of the way and let things progress under the careful and watchful eye of the Lord. And then it also lets me know this as well, that dirt has a purpose in my life. And dirt can do some amazing work in my life as well as the seeds that are contained within that soil. If I steward them correctly, they are on schedule because God has things on time. Remind your soul often not to worry that the seeds of your promise, they are on schedule and they're going to produce for you. Looking at the timeline of Jesus's ministry up to this point, Mark chapter four, up to this point in Mark's gospel, he had already faced five major points of opposition, five major places of contradiction. I'm not going to point all of them out, but you need to know this. Church on the Rock, wherever there is impact, you can expect opposition because whenever there is impact in your life, you can expect there to be opposition in your life. It has to be that way. Everything that makes an impact simultaneously is an invitation for opposition. So if you're looking for a life minus opposition, then you have to have the audacity to believe that following Christ frees you from controversy and opposition. But by the very life and standard of Jesus Christ, if that was our measuring stick, then he was the ultimate failure because his life was full of impact and his life was full of opposition. You don't believe me? Just go back to a couple of Fridays ago. The cross is the ultimate opposition to his ultimate impact. Jesus's ministry of compassion also became the enemy's tool of controversy. They grow together. Now, Jesus's tool of compassion. There was a man in Mark chapter three who had a withered hand. Understand that he was not the withered handed man. He was the man with the withered hand. He, he was just a man that had a problem, but his problem didn't identify him. And so Jesus comes in in a moment of compassion and heals him and stirs up the controversy of doing just that thing. We won't talk too much about that. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, he points out this parable of the wheat and the tares and they are growing together. Impact and opposition grow together. Compassion and controversy, they grow together. They have to. Jesus talks about the tendency for believers oftentimes is to separate the weeds from the wheat or the good times from the bad times, but they have to grow together. And for us to rip out the weeds that Jesus instructs us not to, and actually he's, he's making an eschatological or an end times principle of, of, of harvest at the end times of the age which by the way, God himself is functioning according to his own order. He tells the angel in the book of Revelation chapter 14, verse 15, take your sickle and reap for the harvest of the earth has come. Okay, back to Matthew's parable. It has practical implications and I'm in Matthew 13. Okay, so I haven't lost my mind. I know I'm also in Mark chapter four. Okay, so Matthew chapter 13, it has practical implications for you today, if we will allow it to. God is drawing you and growing you today in this moment into a more consistent communion with him, but you also have to understand that there will also be a more consistent sense of conflict that stands right next to it. 
Romans chapter 7 verse 21 uses a language of discovery from the parables of Jesus. And when the apostle Paul says this, this principle I have learned when I want to do good, evil is present with me as well. Say it, they grow together. The weeds and the tares he uses for humility so that we will trust him. And the wheat, he uses those for strength so that we will follow him. So trusting him and following him require weeds and wheat to grow together. So with this context established, Mark chapter four, where once again, Jesus is going to use the process of nature to show us the nature of God's process. Mark 4 begins in my Bible with what is called the parable of the sower, but this whole chapter is really dedicated to the soil, which is simultaneously known as a person's soul. And the way, and our soul consists of the way you think, the way you feel, and the way that you behave. For the believer, and for the sanctified and mature believer, Our emotions don't have too much of a say in the matter, but we are governed by biblical thought. And if you will think biblically long enough, you will feel biblical soon enough, and you will produce biblical actions often enough. That's the nature of our soul. And that's what Mark chapter four is all about. So for the believer, we are governed by biblical thought not emotions. For the mature believer, you have the potential to see beyond the immediate action into a consequence and make a decision based on that, not on the immediate emotional satisfaction. So when you think biblically long enough, you'll feel biblical soon enough, and you'll produce biblical behaviors often enough. He tells us that the seed, which is the word of God, is always going forth. The seed or the word always does the work. But does anybody realize that oftentimes you are surrounded by what I like to call as seed snatchers? Anybody have seed snatchers in your lives? You know, the joy thieves. You know, the peace thieves. They like to come and steal the seeds of peace, steal the seeds of prosperity, steal the seeds of joy in your, in, in your life. Oftentimes, seed snatchers show up about 9.45 on Sunday morning. <laughs> and then they start to whisper in your ear, it's too difficult, you're too tired, the kids are too grumpy, yada, 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 and church is no longer necessary. Anybody have a a seed snatching app on your phone? There's one becoming, uh, I'm becoming accustomed to, it's called Twitter. And Jesus says that it's the birds of the air that come to snatch the seeds and distract us, right? Distract our attention so that we don't act on what we hear, but we actually just table it onto a shelf. And so if you're not a seed snatcher, then let me encourage you as well. Don't be a seed collector. You know what I'm talking about? Highlighted Bibles, but no fruit. Did I just hit home? Wives, don't nudge your husband. 
You know what I'm talking about? Information without no application or seed without soil. All it does is represent unused potential in a believer's lives. I don't want to have God show up and have me at my arrival into heaven and God have to put on display the amount of unused seed that sat on shelves collected because of one reason or another that they sat here while I was on earth. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, be doers of the word, of the seed, and not merely hearers of the word, and therefore deceive yourselves. Okay, listen, you are not blessed by the words that you hear. You are blessed by the word that you do. You're not just blessed by the word that you hear. You're going to be blessed as that word, that seed, produces something in your life that we call action. A lot of times, this is the mistake that too many believers fall under. We think we need to know more if we're going to grow more. Not true. Okay, listen. More knowing doesn't equal more knowing. I found this out already, and let me maybe share some revelation with you as well. I found out. Check this out. I already know enough. I don't mean that arrogantly. As a matter of fact, let me break it down into something very simple. Here's an example. I know I'm supposed to treat my wife with respect so that nothing will hinder my prayers. If I could just do that right, that would be a huge benefit to me. If I could master that, I know I'm supposed to treat my children with regard and not exasperate them. If I could treat my wife with much more respect and not exasperate my children, I would grow at an exponentially rapid rate. I also know this as well. I know I'm supposed to consider others like yourselves above myself. If I would just master that, if I would just master what I know, I would grow exponentially well. I, I know this as well, okay? I know this. I know I'm supposed to pray for my leaders and all of those who are in authority. If I would just do those few biblical principles of loving my wife the way Christ loves the church, of not exasperating my children, of looking out for the needs of others far above my own and praying for my leaders, if I would only do what I knew, then I would grow at an exponential rate. I don't need to know more. I need to put into practice what I already know a whole lot more. I, I know I'm not supposed to talk bad about other people. Did I relate with somebody? I, I know I'm not supposed to have certain unrealistic expectations of human relationships. I know these things. And, and so what I'm trying to say is I don't need to know more to grow. I, I know enough if I would just put into practice what I already know. So here's, here's just a thought. If you do what you knew, you'll grow. If, if you put the fist full of biblical principles into practice, you'll grow. You'll, you'll grow well. Okay, back to Mark chapter 4, verse 26 through 29. It says the farmer puts the seed in the soil. Verse 27, it says this. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Listen, though he does not know how. This farmer's experiences 
He's watching the maturation of this seed, even though he doesn't know how. Now, I understand that was before iPhones, Google, and YouTube, where you can get an unlimited amount of information. So there are a few things that are evident. This farmer, one, he knew that the seed needed to be in soil, not on the shelf. He needed to take his seed and he needed to put it into the soil. He also understood that there needed to be water and that there needed to be light. He needed to know just a few things, but he didn't need to know how the seed was going to be brought to maturation. I need to highlight this for you. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. That's what he said. Jesus is just introducing this term. He's the first one to use it. And so he's giving them an earthly illustration, yet he does not talk about the kingdom of God as a magic kingdom. He doesn't say the kingdom of God is like Wakanda. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't say the kingdom of God is like the Battlestar Galactica or a ride that you'll find down at Disney World. He uses a seed somewhat seemingly anyways, anticlimactic for those gathered near to him. The kingdom of God is like a seed. This alone, let me point this out for you. This alone points out that oftentimes in our lives, the kingdom of God and spiritual growth comes at the cost of stewarding something that looks insignificant. Sometimes spiritual growth, rapid, and stewardship of the kingdom of God is stewarding something that looks insignificant. And, and then what does he say? It goes into the soil. So now you're stewarding something that is invisible. And just like the farmer who doesn't know how, it causes us to feel somewhat ignorant. So if you need an outline, here's three eyes for you. Three things about the kingdom of God. It's often insignificant. It appears invisible. And it causes us to feel insecure or ignorant. So the greatest proof, beloved, that you are actually growing in your relationship with God is this fact that sometimes it doesn't feel like you're growing in your relationship with God. So... I'm sorry for everybody who needs a goosebump during a song service to know that God's working in your life. Can I tell you the greatest work of the kingdom of God is not on the surface level of your emotions or your feelings, but a much deeper work in areas that are unseen. Maybe we should do ourselves a favor and follow the Apostle Paul's um, advice in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but rather on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. Temporary means subject to change and most certainly will. So we fix our eyes on that which is unseen and eternal. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. Something small in its origin, seemingly insignificant, and that we are asked to steward. As it goes through stages, it becomes invisible, causes insecurity, causes ignorance at times. So the farmer who puts the seed in the ground and never knows if he's going to actually see that seed again. 
He's got to play his part, water it, give it good soil, provide good light, and, and have the sun that's indicating that we have a part to play in our relationship with God. But there is an unseen element of faith that I want to talk to you about just for a moment because I don't hear it talked about enough, and I'm hungry to hear it. I'm hungry to see it put into practice because a lot of Christians, we like to sit and listen to eloquent and cute sermons that are well put together that tell you to do something spiritual, like forgiving somebody who appears to, to, to deliberately continuously hurt you. We, we like to listen to, to well-packaged sermons that tell you how to give your addictions to God, but they don't really tell you how to walk those things out. So I hear a silence response oftentimes from pulpits or from, from congregations when I get to go and speak that people, they're asking this question, I don't know how. I don't know how the kingdom of God is actually supposed to, 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 to be in my life. I haven't quite yet identified or recognized the perpetual activity of the kingdom of God in my life so that I feel like I'm gaining any type of momentum. I go to church, I go to life group, I go to small group, I do my part to play, but there are still some things about the kingdom of God that elude me that if I am honest with myself, I don't know how it works. You, you tell me what I'm supposed to do, but you don't show me how I'm supposed to do it. So I, I've sat with many of people that say, you tell me I'm supposed to study my Bible, but I don't know, have an idea how to study my Bible. You say I'm supposed to pray, and, and you say I'm supposed to do these particular things, but praying without 30 seconds, having the question of what's going to be for dinner, or do my kids have lunch, or am I on time for this, or how busy am I going to be? With all of these different thoughts invading my mind, I'm still not quite sure how to steward the things of the kingdom of God. I just don't know how. But can I tell you this as well? Who did God ask to build the temple and to lead his people? Solomon. His response was very timely. He said this, I'm young and I don't know how to lead people. Who did God pick to carry his own son? Mary, right? Her response, I don't know how this is going to be. What was the first thing the disciples asked Jesus when he said, I need you to feed a few thousand people, even though there was no preparations for lunch that had been thought about? They said this, how? How are we supposed to do this? Can I tell you that the how can oftentimes be the starting place for your spiritual growth? And the how is simultaneously admit as an admission of I don't know how. But all of those things, you have to understand that the dirt that is in your life is working. All by itself, the soil produces. So when we don't know how, we have to unscramble those three words, those three letters, and change our how into a who. Spiritual growth requires this. There is a part that you play there's a part that the dirt in your life plays, and there's a part that God will play. And this, if, if I was to put a catchy title to it, my sermon would be titled, God's Dirty Little Secret. <laughs> this is what the enemy doesn't want you to know. He, he wants you to think that the, that the Lord really only chooses experts that he really only chooses those who are the epitome of perfection. But, but I can tell you, God is always looking out for another imperfect fisherman like Peter. 
He's always looking for another prostitute like Rahab. He's always looking for somebody. So if you are here today with an I don't know how in your heart, then maybe you're just in the right spot. Because I don't know how a whole lot of things work in my life either. I may not understand the way a whole lot of things come to pass, but that doesn't stop me from utilizing their capacity once they do. You may be here today and you might be thinking, I'm not smart enough for this. God, I'm in over my head. This is new to me. I wasn't trained for this. So again, take your how and turn it into a who. The seed is yours, but the outcome will always be his. So if you're faithful to steward your seasons of insignificant, where God feels invisible and you feel ignorant, then all God's need, all he needs is just your will, your participation and your surrender. But because you don't know how, please don't quit. Please don't drop out. You don't have to know how when you can surrender your trust to the who. Once you do know what to do, I promise you, there will come another point that you reach where you can't make rain fall from the sky, where you can't control the growth rate of the seed that you are called to steward. And you might be waiting to sow something before you know something and that's out of order. You don't have to sow something before you know something. Put what you know in the ground of God's kingdom and then let the dirt do its work. As much as I wanna preach theologically, let me just close with sharing a couple things that hopefully minister to your heart. Dirt has a purpose, your dirt has a purpose and dirt needs to do its work. The greatest work happened not when the farmer was doing what he knew what to do. The greatest work happened when the dirt was doing what it was supposed to do. Remember, when God created the earth, he created the, the, the dirt, and I promise you, in his original intentions was to fill the dirt with every resource necessary in order to steward whatever kingdom seeds would be put inside of it. And whatever difficult dirt that you're going through now, God had the forethought in his mind to make sure that the dirt that you're going through actually contains the resources to produce the seed and its outcome in your life if you will allow it to. There must be a cooperation in our lives between the things that we control and the things that we can't. I can plant a seed. So in, for instance, I can encourage others. I can invest in kingdom causes. I can send missions all around the world. I can do all of that. But the part, listen, that attributed to the outcome removed the farmer from the equation. All by itself, the soil produces the grain. We, we can't allow us to take this to places where, of extremes where everything is just up to God and I sit back and do nothing. In this passage, the farmer sows, but the dirt does the, outwork, does the outworking of the seed. So another secret of the kingdom of God is that your destiny is oftentimes revealed in your dirt. Here's what I mean. 
your destiny is most revealed in your dirt, in your discouragement, in your inadequacies and insecurities, in your rejections, and in your trials, in your dirt. This would be a great lesson all on its own. And the principle would be powerful, but let me, let me, let me close this and put a bow on this today. That's what a parable invites us to do, is to discover something that's a little bit deeper. At this point, know this. Your dirt, your discouragement, your inadequacies or your insecurities, the places where you've been rejected, any trial that you're going through, know this. It's working in your favor. It's working in your favor. When I've studied this passage, I made a false assumption. I assumed that the farmer was Jesus and the seed was the word of God. And again, the problem or the difficulty with that interpretation is Jesus can't be the farmer because the farmer doesn't know how. And Jesus, we know he is the perfect representation of the manifest wisdom of God who is all-knowing. So the principle is you don't have to know how when you know who. So don't let the what you don't know stop you from sowing the seeds that you do know. The parable hidden underneath the principle points us to something that in Mark chapter 4 hadn't happened, but most assuredly would, and we just celebrated it. The disciples would make it their mission to not allow Jesus to avoid his dirty work. When he was being accused, when he was before the city and the county government, and he was as a sheep before the shears, he was silent. However, his silence spoke so clearly to the shouting definition of this parable. Jesus was in essence by saying silent, saying this, don't worry, the dirt, it's got a job to do. The dirt's got some work to do and it's gonna be working for me. While it's covering me, it's gonna be working for me. The parable says this, if they will accuse me, then my father doesn't have to accuse you. The parable says this, that the dirt is going to allow me, the innocent, to stand in your place as the guilty, and the dirt is going to be what allows the great exchange in the earth, that Jesus, who knew no sin, while he was in the dirt, would become sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So rather than calling himself a legion of angels to release him from the discouragement of the cross, the rejection of the cross, the insecurity of, Father, why have you forsaken me of the cross and the trial of the cross? He allowed himself to become the seed of the firstborn of many of the brethren. What was thought to be a Friday afternoon funeral was nothing more than an agricultural lesson of planting a seed. Jesus was not buried on Friday. He was planted on Friday so that the dirt could get to work. Knowing that this was a kingdom planting, 
pointed us to a kingdom provision and a kingdom promise. That indeed, as Romans 8.28 says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So I know we just celebrated Easter. I know we're happy on a Sunday morning sitting, sitting in a beautiful church, but I would have to assume that some of you are going through some dirty seasons in your life right now. And I want you to understand this. Your dirt is working on your seed to produce an outcome that when it springs forth, it's going to do exactly what the, the prince of this air or our adversary had it said about him, that if the enemy would have known what crucifying the Lord of glory would have done, he never would have done it. And I prophesy over you, beloved, here today, that if the enemy would have known that what he thought he was doing by putting dirt on your life was only providing an atmosphere for your seed of the kingdom of God to produce an overwhelming victory in your life, your dirt is working on your behalf, my friend. So together can we just give God a hand clap of praise today because all by itself, the soil of the kingdom of God will produce the promises therein that very same kingdom. Your dirt is working on your behalf, my friend. So don't, don't hurry through your, through your dirty seasons and, and allow a premature seed to sprout up and not have the resources necessary to benefit you and those around you. All by itself. The word of God will always accomplish the work of God. But know that the word of God needs a little bit of dirt sometimes. Let it work on your behalf.